0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go quickly this morning to the Word of God, uh, to John's Gospel, chapter 2. John's Gospel, chapter 2. we're going to be reading uh, just verses 1 to 11. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. It would seem like uh, that Mary, we don't know how this young couple was, but it would seem like Mary uh, had close ties. Uh, she was there. uh, She wasn't just there just as an invited guest, uh, but that she maybe, perhaps, maybe was even related. But certainly Jesus and his disciples uh, were there. And Jesus said to, sorry, uh, now both Jesus and the disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, woman, What does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now, that has troubled some people, the way that Jesus addressed his mother at that point. There was a slight rebuke there. uh, And the meaning of that was this, that Jesus now, this was the beginning of his ministry, and that his mother was no longer just to look at him as her son. He was the saviour of the world. And so he's putting a little bit of distance there. And because he called her woman, that is a Hebrew idiom. It's not meant to be a slight in any shape, form, or fashion. Because even on the cross, he says, woman, behold your son. Uh, Meaning John, was going to look after her. But he was putting a little bit of distance there. You remember he, he did that in another occasion uh, whenever, uh, you know, people says, your mother's outside, your mother and your brother. He says, well, who is my mother? Who are my brother and are not these? And so he, he's putting that little bit of space, uh, letting her know, hey, uh, be careful who you're giving orders to now. Uh, I take orders from above. And uh, so, so so just a slight little rebuke there that's what he's giving her and she, she accepts it very well you know Mary being a typical mother of course uh, mothers love their sons and, and, uh, and, and probably felt well he can do something about this situation I'm just going to tell him to get on with it and do it but she overstepped the mark and Jesus reminded you're overstepping the mark here and then his mother said to the servants whatsoever he says to you do it That, by the way, those are the last recorded words of Mary in Scripture. Uh, And what great last words to be recorded. Whatever he says to you, do it. And so she accepted that he was putting her just a little bit of distance, but, you know, she graciously accepted that and uh, said to the servants, well, let's see, whatever he says, you go ahead and do that. Now they were sent there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom... And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus is now 30 years of age. His three-year ministry on earth has just begun. And he has gathered together his band of disciples, well, at least some of them, Peter, James, and John, and Philip, and Andrew, and Nathaniel, to at least six now he's got. And it so happens that he and they have been invited to this wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, for the most of his 30 years, if not all of the 30 years, we don't know for sure, uh, he believed that he was the Son of God that he was the Messiah of Israel, uh, that he was indeed the Savior of the world. He also knew that his ministry would be accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles. But so far on earth, he has not performed one single miracle. Not one, no sign, no wonder. Yes, there there is telltale clues that Uh, This would happen one day, apart from his miraculous birth and the angels heralding that birth, uh, apart from the fact that whenever Mary and Joseph presented him at the temple, that Simeon, the Spirit of God, came on Simeon and he prophesied about Jesus. But do you remember how that, uh, whenever Mary got pregnant, how she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And whenever Mary greeted Elizabeth, It says that the little baby John, he leapt in his mother's womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so we're getting clues about what would be to come. You remember also many years later when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, how the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit like a dove descended upon Jesus and the Father spoke and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So all the signs and clues were there. But as of yet, nothing has happened. Consider that he had all power and he had all authority. Consider that he was greater than Moses. Consider that he was greater than all or any of the great prophets of the past. He could have, I suppose, he could have chosen any sign, any miracle, any wonder uh, that he wanted to to launch his ministry. He could have been like Moses. He could have ventured to the Red Sea and, uh, and split the Red Sea again. He could have been like Joshua and went to the Jordan and opened up the Jordan. Uh, he could have stood in the Valley of Angelon and commanded the sun to stand still or, or get the sun to go back 10 degrees on Hezekiah's sundial. He could have done any of those things that would have shown his Messianic credentials. But none of those things It would have been the Father's will, and he knew that. And so, instead he chose this particular sign and miracle to manifest his glory and to cause his disciples to believe in him. He turned water into wine. Moses, who represents the law, the Old Testament, turned water into blood. And Jesus in the New Testament, who represents grace, turned water into wine. In John 1, it says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And the blood represented judgment, but the wine represents joy. So right at the very beginning, uh, Jesus, for those who wanted to see or to know, uh, he was doing a sign of this change that was about to take place. Uh, Notice that those pots were for purification of the Jews, for the hand washings according to the law. And they were filled to the brim. And Jesus came to fulfill the law completely and totally. And in him, the law was filled to the brim In him the law was fulfilled, and now he was going to introduce grace and mercy wherever he went. I think that this is a wonderful thing that even though this was a mighty creative miracle, and it was, just think for a moment. You know, Jesus, he didn't touch those water pots. He didn't speak to those water pots. He could have, but he didn't. He just asked the servants to fill them up with water. And at some point, I don't know how this happened, but at some point, I I imagine he silently prayed, Father, is this your will? Is this what you want me to do right now? Regardless of what my mother said. And having got the in the affirmative, he got the yes to do that, didn't speak, didn't touch, but in his heart, and his mind, he must have just, I, I can only, only imagine he maybe in his heart said, water be turned into wine. What a mighty creative miracle in that moment. And best of all, the greatest part about it was, it was done for an ordinary couple at an ordinary wedding in an ordinary little village. That's where he chose to manifest his glory. And that says a lot about the heart of Jesus. And I think it says a lot about the heart of the Father, where he is so touched with the needs of people. In the Old Testament, God cared about the widow's last handful of meat in the barn. He cared about the widow's last little oil in a jar. Whenever Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, you remember the first thing he says was, give her something to eat. He was concerned about her physical needs. Give her something to eat. She hadn't eaten probably for a long time. Probably was emaciated with a disease that caused her death. The man of Gadara clothed his nakedness, gave him back his dignity, cared for those 5,000 hungry bellies on the hillside and miraculously gave them food and fed them. Nothing escapes his all-seeing, all-knowing eye. He who numbers the stars numbers our steps. He who counts the hairs on our head counts the number of our days, and every one of them is precious in his sight. And the marvelous thing about this infinite, eternal, omnipotent God is that he truly, truly cares. I want us this morning, I want us at some point in this service, and I want you to think about it as I preach, I want us to present our need to the Lord. This little couple had a great need. It would have been highly embarrassing, to say the least, to run out of wine in a week long reception, because that's how long they lasted in those days. And so to start off on a footing of embarrassment and being humiliated, Jesus wasn't about to let that happen. And so the need was presented to him, albeit through his mother, but the need was presented, and he met the need. And somehow this morning, as God leads, I want you to present your need to Him because He's interested in every single detail of your life and He cares about your need. Casting all your care upon Him, Peter says, for He cares for you. He cares about that rent that's due, He cares about the mortgage that needs paid. He cares about your health issues. He cares about your family concerns. He cares about your wishes and your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations. He cares about your children. He cares about that job that you need. He really cares. Thank you, Lord. Lord. And so we need to present our care to the one who cares for us. He found a wife for Isaac, didn't he? He found a husband for Ruth. Caused... Hannah, to get that long for little son that she wanted. And caused Simeon, after all of those years of waiting and looking and looking and looking, finally, he gets to see the Messiah. He cares about the very desires of her heart. In Romans 2 and 4, it talks about the riches of his goodness, (laughs) goodness, <laughs> the riches of his goodness. God is intrinsically good. Right. Yeah. He is totally good. There is no evil. There's no badness. There's no malice in our God. The song says he's good all the time. Yeah. And he truly, truly is. His ways are good. His plans are good. His heart is good. In creation. When God had finished creating this world, everything he saw, he said, it is good. But when he created man, he said, it is very good. The very least, it was good. But man was very good. And he's good to all. He makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. James says he gives to all men liberally. He really does. First Timothy 6 and 17 says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. <coughs> psalm 145, 9, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Verse 14 and 16 of the same psalm. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You, psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. you could spend the next hour, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, showing and demonstrating the goodness of our God. In Romans 2, 4, it says, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's a wonderful scripture. It was the goodness of God that got us to repent. Because for most of us, many years of our life, we had no intention of repenting. (laughs) Didn't want to repent. But the goodness of God led us to the place of repentance he loved us so much and he showed us his goodness. Peter said 2 Peter 3 9 the Lord is long suffering towards us not willing that any of us should perish but that all should come to, re- to repentance. So the Lord is long suffering. He's of tender mercies. He's of loving kindness. Paul understood this. The great theme of Paul's message was when he thought of his former life he says, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst of the worst. That's what he's saying. And yet, later on, he says, But now I am what I am by the grace of God. Hallelujah. It was the goodness of God that led Saul of Tarsus to repentance. Peter understood this. Saul was humiliating. We often say it was spectacular. But it was the goodness of God that led him to repentance. It truly was. David understood this, even though he had committed an awful act of adultery and compounded that act of adultery with the, with the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And it was the goodness of God that sent the prophet Nathan To confront him. And to melt his hard heart. And to get him to repent. And he did repent. The Bible speaks not only of the riches of his goodness, but the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1-7, the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2-7, the exceeding riches of his grace. And if that's not enough... Galatians 3 and 8, the unsearchable riches of his grace. Generally speaking, the riches of his goodness speaks of his care for us in creation. But the riches of his grace speaks of his care for us in Christ. His care for us inwardly, his care for us outwardly his care for us practically, his care for us spiritually, his care for us in our needs, and his care for us in our hearts. G-R-A-C-E, we know it well, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's love expressed in mercy. The very nature of God is to give. God's propensity, his bias, is always towards giving yeah, right. to us. <coughs> he is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. Thank you, Lord. The nature of God is to give in abundance. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. Edgar Mitchell, the late Edgar Mitchell, Colonel Edgar Mitchell, the sixth astronaut to walk on the moon, he said that those hours they spent on the moon were extremely busy. NASA had them doing every test and every experiment they could think of. So he said, we really didn't have much time to enjoy the spectacle. He said, the best part for me was not actually walking on the moon It was a three-day journey back to Earth. For he says, we had all that time, because the work was over, to relax and just look out the window at that beautiful, magnificent, blue-green ball hanging in space that we call home. He says, we were fixated looking at it. Tim Peake, uh, the British astronaut who's just back from the space station from six months uh, job there, He's going back again. He says, the thing I missed the most was looking at the earth. It is spectacular, he said. Wouldn't you like to be looking out that window and seeing the earth as a ball? Wouldn't that be lovely? And saying, that's where I live. How generous God is to give us such an earth to live upon. When you consider that... (laughs) the life that's on this earth. And when you consider here us in the inky blackness of space in our solar system and in our galaxy among billions of galaxies as far as we know, and we don't know, there's so many. And yet there's this one little speck of dust we call planet Earth, and it's teeming with life. There's an abundance, a profusion of life all over it, and it's the only life in this universe because God chose to place us here, and it's perfectly fitted for us, and there's an abundance for us. Air to breathe, we have water to drink, (laughs) mountains to climb, rivers and seas to swim in, (laughs) forest to walk through prairies fields with all the diversity of animal life and flora and fauna the humanity what am i saying i'm saying that god is an abundant giver oh, do, yeah. and he's made all of this for us special provision The abundance of God's giving. He turned the water into wine. Jesus did 160 gallons of it. <laughs> Fill them up to the brim. Not stingy. Not tight. But liberal. And generous. And good. The word is exceeding and exceedingly are used in the scripture often to describe God's generosity. Genesis 15 and 1, God said to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. Numbers 14 and 7, Joshua said, the land we pass through, when he came back as a spies, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. Psalm 43, 4 speaks of exceeding joy Jesus said in Matthew 5, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul talks about the exceeding weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 9, 14, the exceeding grace of God. Ephesians 1, 19, the exceeding greatness of his power. 2 Peter 1 and 4, exceeding great and precious promises. Don't you think the Holy Spirit who wrote this Bible is trying to tell us something? Don't you think he's trying to get it through to our thick skulls? That God is a good God, that he's a generous and kind and loving God? Mm -hmm. Ephesians 3.20, Paul talks about exceedingly abundantly. And Paul here actually, as he was wanting to do, makes up his own word for exceedingly abundantly. Hooper acts, Periosis, Hooper ak, periosis. This is the word he made up. It's a compound word of three different words. And periosis means super <coughs> abundance. And hyper means over. And ak, E-K, ak means out of or from. So what he actually said here in Ephesians 3.20 is, from out of his overabounding abundance. Paul loved to use superlatives. And when he uses them, he runs out of them. He gets to the place, he just cannot think of another superlative to describe the abundance and the goodness of God. God. I, I can imagine him sitting down writing this. And he starts off, Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think. And then he would sit and think, Hmm, I think I can do better than that. Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think, above all that we ask or think, now that's better, isn't it? So I, I can imagine sitting and thinking, that, that that sounds better, that's more like our God. And then he thinks, but wait a minute, that's still not enough. Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think, above all that we ask or think, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Does he stop there? Not in your life. He's not finished. For unto him who is able to do all that we ask or think, above all that we ask or think, abundantly above all that we ask or think, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, <laughs> he, he just cannot get any more superlatives. In Second Corinthians four seventeen, he, he he does the same thing. He's thinking of the glory of God. And he tells about the weight of glory. And then he thinks, no, wait a minute, it's more than that. The eternal weight of glory. No, wait a minute, there's going to be more than that. The exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Hold on a minute, I can do more. A far more exceeding weight of eternal glory. So, what is he trying to do? He's trying to show us today the abundance of a good God. When God gives to us, he gives out of his abundance. Sometimes we give to him out of our lack. But he has no lack. (laughs) He just continually has got abundance. So I'm trying to get you to see the generosity of God today. If you're going to give God your need you need to know you're coming to a big God, a generous God, a God who desires to meet that need, a God who can meet that need. Thank the Lord. I'm trying to get you to see your need in comparison to his supply. I'm trying to get you to see your need in comparison to his storehouse. I'm trying to get you to see your need in comparison to his big, generous, loving, giving heart. If he so loved us that he gave the very best in heaven his own son, how much more shall he not freely give us? He's already given his best. (laughs) He didn't need to fill all those water pots up with water and turn all of those six pots into wine. He didn't need to do that. One would probably have been sufficient, two at the most. But all six of them containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. (laughs) And but he was showing his generosity, his abundance. that that five thousand, he didn't need to give them so much that there was twelve baskets left over. But he's showing us his kindness. Those disciples who were fishing, he didn't need to almost burst their nets and almost sink their boats. But he did just to show them see, I can just meet any need above and beyond what you ask or think. And so he's showing us that this God that we serve is a God who is more than enough. That his grace is all sufficient. It's more than enough. So what is your need this morning? Is it too great for God? Is it too big for God? Is it beyond his capability? Is it beyond his supply? Is it beyond the reaches of his storehouses? I don't think so. I think he's got more than enough to go around us all. Mm-hmm. And our needs are all different today. It could be a physical need. It could be a spiritual need. It could be something that you have run out of. They have run out of Wine. Do you ever feel I'm just run out? I've hit the bottom. The barrel's empty. (laughs) The pot is done. I have nothing left. Ask the Lord to fill you up again. Ask the Lord to take that empty place and fill it with his gracious spirit. Your physical need, whatever it may be, it's not beyond the capability of God, sure it's not. He who can raise the dead, he who can walk on water, he who can just, without even a word or a touch, can just think. And suddenly, the pots are full of wine and they're overflowing. And do you know what? The master of the feast says, "This is the best wine." He had tasted a lot. Of, he had been at a lot of weddings. That guy. He had been at many receptions, lots of afterdoes. But he never tasted wine like that. <laughs> hmm. Glory to God. So, could you just quietly stand with me this morning? Make this a definite act. Just to make this so that you know at this moment, this Lord's Day, that you gave your need to Him. That you handed over that burden, that struggle, that fight that lack, that want, that desire, whatever it may be. Maybe it's for somebody else. Maybe you're full up and God's been blessing you so much, so you say, well, I've got everything I need, thank God. But maybe it's for someone else, a loved one. And here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to come to this altar. Whoever feels you want to do that, there's no pressure to do it. To come to this altar... And stand because I'm going to pray. I'm going to make this a definite act. A definite moment. That tomorrow, next week, you look back and say, Lord, that moment, that Lord's Day, at that hour, Mm. I gave you my need. And I believe, my faith is that you will meet that need. Amen. Amen. That's my faith for you. That's what I trust God will do for you today. So will you do that? Will you just quietly just come? Just anywhere at the front here. Just take a few moments. I'm not going to ask you anything. This is between you and God, whatever your need is. We're going to pray. God is truly a good God. It's a lovely song going around at the moment that he's a good, good father. Yes, amen. And he truly, truly is. <clears throat> and right now that need that you're going to present before him, he knows it. Hallelujah. He knew all about it before you came to the front. But by faith in Christ... You're going to say, Lord, here it is. I reach it out to you by faith. Thank you, Lord. And you're going to meet this need for your honor and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Lord, you see the need in every heart that's being presented before you right now. You see the desire, you see the longing, you see the hurt, you see the pain. You see the emptiness. And Lord, today you're going to fill that. Hallelujah. You're going to meet that need. Hallelujah. So I pray in the name of Jesus. The miracle working Christ. Glory, glory, glory. The one who has all power and all authority. I pray in his name. And I pray your blessing. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, your blessing be upon these loved ones of yours, Mm -hmm. these precious ones of yours, your blessing, your supply, your miracle. Lord, I pray for them today that you will impart it to them as they present it to you. Lord, that you will meet that. May we believe in faith, believing today in the mighty name of Jesus. We hand it over to you. We're not yeah, going to worry yeah. about it or fret about it or concern ourselves about it. We have handed it. We have done it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And we believe, Lord, that you will now work on their behalf. Hallelujah. And you'll bring it to pass in the name of Jesus. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for this. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bless you.